Hello and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we focus on Islamic-related topics and social issues. So this is a bit of a random topic, to be honest, but I thought I'd share my thoughts with you all anyhow, and maybe it's something that's of interest to you. There is this ongoing conversation that I find really interesting in our society about natural beauty and Instagram standards and how is social media affecting our beauty standards, etc. And even just beauty standards in general, right? People who want to fight against certain beauty standards or even being standards at all. And I found this really interesting. Um, One thing that I find fascinating when it comes to the social media conversation, right? So someone will say, you know, don't don't judge yourself by social media. Everyone's using filters and tons of makeup, etc. So I feel like half of that statement is true. That sure, you shouldn't judge yourself against social media standards. Um but I feel like the implied part of that statement is not true. And the implied part of the statement is that it is wrong or fake to use the uh, filters and makeup. Now, this is not a conversation about halal or haram when it comes to makeup and filter. I don't know what what the fic would say about filters, Um, but obviously there's differences of opinion on makeup. And I think that for us as Muslim women... um, you know, my own point of view, and I and I feel, inshallah ta'ala, may Allah forgive me if I'm wrong, I feel it's okay to give my point of view on this issue because I've been given different opinions. So um, that went in between halal and haram. So for me, I think there's just a huge difference between red lipstick and wearing makeup that hides your flaws, right? To wear makeup that covers up your scars versus or covers up whatever imperfection um, or even enhances certain areas of your face or perfects them in some way versus wearing makeup that is alluring and attractive. And I know there will be differences of opinion just, you know, socially speaking about what is alluring and attractive makeup But I feel like if we're going by quote-unquote common sense, we all would know the answer to that. I could be wrong. Maybe our opinions would widely disagree. Um, So so that's its own thing. But in a general sense, so to speak, I think that there is a problem for sure with comparing ourselves to the Instagram version of people on social media. But I'm not so sure that the use of filters or the use of makeup or the use of Photoshop, et cetera, for pictures on Instagram or even just showcasing a quote unquote perfected version of your life is bad. And I say that because... Um, the interesting thing about social media, right, is that it is just a part of you that you put on there and you get to completely choose what part of you you want to put on there. So someone can have a social media page that is all about the books they read 
And it's interesting because we have a particular criticism for women when it comes to the beauty and the makeup and all that. But we don't criticize anyone for anyone else, for anything else, uh, you know, as far as I can think of, right? So no one says, you know, well, don't compare yourself to, I think they call themselves books, bookstagrammers. Don't compare yourself to bookstagrammers. They don't really read that much in real life. Or don't compare yourself to, what's another person? Uh, exercise gurus, they don't really exercise that much in real life. Um, the beauty people get sort of the most flack. I don't think there's anything wrong with curating your life or choosing what aspects of yourself you want to put on social media. In fact, I think that is a good thing. Um, I know that in the earlier days, and this is still true, but you know, I guess my feed has probably changed. But I know that in the early days of, not the early days of Facebook, when I, but when I think about when I was on Facebook years ago, um, I was first on Facebook in college for a couple years, then I got off, and then I got back on after graduate school, and I was on probably a couple years, and then I've been off since then. So I remember in those earlier days when I was on, people did treat Facebook like their personal diary. <laughs> so whatever was on their mind, whatever thoughts they wanted to share, that was just what they put. And it wasn't very filtered. And over time, social media became more and more filtered. Now, again, I can't, I'm speaking in absolutes, but I don't really think that has changed necessarily. I think it's just, again, people that I follow other social medias that I am on because um, I think Facebook is probably still like that. Um, but Twitter is more refined, I think. And Instagram is certainly a lot more curated, I think, again, because it can all depend on who you follow. And, you know, for me, that's actually a better direction for social media to go in. Um I get the concern about people comparing themselves to someone's curated Instagram feed, but I think that's a problem of thinking and perception more than it's a problem what's on Instagram. Because someone who has decided that every random thought or every picture, even if it's not aesthetically pleasing, they're going to put up on social media. I think it's someone that doesn't actually get social media or isn't using it to their high, to its highest potential, right? So <laughs> it's almost like if someone comes into your house, right? You have a guest in your house, you invite someone by your house. Let's say that your living room is clean, you clean that up, but your bedroom's a mess. Now, most people, right, you would take your guests to your living room and you sit in your living room and maybe some people would mention, oh man, you know, my bedroom is so messy. I just had to rush and clean and I had to throw some stuff in my bedroom. Some people might um, be that open, um, but most people would just, you know, take you to the living room and you, you sit and you enjoy and whatever you have your visit in the living room. And most people would definitely not. So again, there are a few people who might mention, oh, my place was a mess that I had to clean up for you, whatever. 
you know, mention it casually or in a joking way. But no one would say, <laughs> you know what, guess I'm going to bring you into my messy bedroom because this is the real me, right? And, and I want you to see the real me. You wouldn't do that, right? Because a couple reasons. One, you want to show people your best self, usually, especially strangers. Um, and you, there's a level of comfort that you don't have with someone who is simply a guest in your household. Um, now, if the person was your spouse, right, your spouse was coming home and you quickly cleaned up the living room, um, but you had to throw some stuff in the bedroom, you're not going to say to your spouse, you know, don't go in the bedroom. It's so messy. You can't see it. Some people might, right? But for the most part, you might just apologize. Oh my God, so sorry. It's so messy in the air. But you're not going to feel a certain level of embarrassment because you have a certain level of comfort with your spouse. And there are maybe a few other people like that, a best friend, um, some family members, because even if it was your parents, right, you'd probably be ashamed if your room was messy. But your sister, maybe, because it's a different kind of relationship. I say all that to say social media is for everyone, right? So the idea that people should not put their best selves forward for the public, for public consumption, doesn't actually make any sense. The idea that you should, you know, not depict a perfect life. And and I'm not saying that you should depict a perfect life, so to speak. Um, but I think you do put your best foot forward, right? So there'll be a criticism sometimes of, let's say, like Instagram mom, like, oh, you know, they always have these perfect pictures and their life's so perfect and life isn't really that perfect and some people need to see the messier side of life. <laughs> And I think that's a strange criticism because what you're saying is this random person, this stranger on social media owes me their life. They owe me their truth. They owe me their reality. They owe me the not so pleasant aspects of their life. And, you know, I think this plays into a larger issue in our society of just a general voyeurism, right? So... And I'm not going to be super critical of the women. It's their choice. But I think it's a larger issue. Um, you know what? No, I won't even point to those stories. But you'll see people's stories, for example, where they talk about something super personal. Let's say like a celebrity interview and they're talking about their divorce or they're talking about their troubled child or they're talking about um, their abusive upbringing, you know? I think we've just gotten so used to people in publicly giving us their deepest, darkest truths, realities, pains, to the point where we almost feel like we deserve it from them, and or we're owed it, or that's what's due to us. And so we just sort of extend that to people on social media. And perhaps to some degree, uh, more so influencers, because you may see them like celebrities. <laughs> but the reality is that no one owes you their private pain. Now, if someone chooses to share that, 
that's up to people how they want to respond. I think it is, uh, I think it's not, I'll just say not polite to respond with, you know, you should keep that to yourself, right? I don't think that is the best response. Um, but I think the opposite is worse. Demanding that people show you the truth or you always look perfect in your pictures. I'm going to see your pictures with flaws. Why? Why do you get to see my flaws? And and this is not personal, right? Um, but I just, I was just thinking about this generally speaking. And it's even like, there's a weird thing where we almost become angry with perfection. And this this is like throughout, or angry with excellence, let me say. Obviously, nothing is perfect. But we can perfect something as much as possible, right, as a human being. We become angry with excellence. The so-called political correctness, is it? there's another name for it that I'm forgetting. Um, we're angry when people say, when people want to do things in a certain way when people want to put out a image really that is protecting of them. We don't want to see people perfect all the time. We want people to constantly share their vulnerabilities with us, their raw pain with us. And I just don't think we deserve that. And I, and I feel like we have to have that conversation as well. You know, there is a (laughs) recently, Obama, uh, and I didn't really read the interview, they just had the quote, he was telling activists that um, they have to stop using this term defund the police because you're shutting people out before they even have a chance to hear you out. And of course, as expected, he gets all this backlash, whatever. And I absolutely think that he's right. But it's funny because people who believe it's right to just sort of be emotional and say things that probably won't allow you to reach your goal, um, but it feels right, so I should be allowed to say it, they don't want to have a conversation about what are actually the best ways to go about something. This is how we feel. This is my raw personal truth. And so people should respond to that. And, you know, I I may have spoke about this on the blog, but I think there's this weird thing in our society and my generation and even more so with younger people where we feel this need to have unconditional love from everyone. So it's this idea of no matter what I do, what I say, I should, who I am, I should be loved and accepted. It doesn't matter if it's logical. This is how I feel, and you need to validate me and understand where I'm coming from and love me. And this is sort of the famous line in all that, you know, cheesy movies and all that stuff. You know, we love you no matter what. And it is, uh, it's also the messages of all the Disney movies, right? The kid obeys, disobeys their parents. But, you know, no worries. In the end, the parents will understand and they'll love you no matter what. And I think that is extremely problematic. One, it's interesting because it's very childish. But it's also interesting to me because 
and Eric Fromm talks about this in his book, The Art of Loving. Unconditional love is something you are supposed to get from your mother. Your mother loves you no matter what, right? You are, when we're babies, we are helpless. We are 100% dependent on her. We are, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to figure out a polite way to put it, but you know, the mom has to change our pampers. She has to feed us. She has to put up with our crying, etc. Yes. Dads also put up with it to a certain extent, but we all know moms do more of that. Um, and the more sort of, um, gender differentiated a, a marriage is, or a society is the more the mother has to do when it comes to the baby. But she loves us unconditionally. She doesn't stop loving us because we cry. She doesn't stop loving us because she has to change us. She doesn't stop loving us because we hurt her. We mess up her sleep pattern. Never, ever stops loving us no matter what we do. And I do feel that, and Allahu Alam, you know, this would take research. This would take more thought on my part. But I do feel there's something to that where in our society, my generation and the generations under, I guess there are maybe two or three generations under us now as millennials, that because we didn't, most of us didn't have our mothers, right? When we were very young, we were in the daycare or maybe mom and dad were sort of splitting the time or, you know, we had a babysitter or we had a nanny, whatever it was. But for most of us, mom was not there for two years or four years or whatever, the first couple of years of our life exclusively. And so we didn't actually get this kind of unconditional love. And I really feel like people are searching for that. They don't want love they have to earn. They don't want acceptance they have to earn. They want love no matter what. And the interesting thing about that is that, so that's the love that we're supposed to get from our mom. That is the first love we're supposed to experience. And then the dad's love is supposed to be the more conditional love, the love that has that has standards, the love that says you do this and then I'll love you. And it's not obviously when, maybe not obviously, but when Eric Fromm is talking, these aren't absolutes, but they are extremes and you're supposed to get both. Now, maybe you get 70% of that unconditional love from your mother and 70% of the sort of conditional love from your father. Um, I think usually our parents love us unconditionally, both of them, but they show it in different ways, right? The father pushes you more, right? The the classic example of the kid who trips and falls and the mother's like, oh no, are you okay? And the dad is like, hey, leave him alone, let him dust himself off, he'll be fine. You know, that, that classic thing of the mom is just, she's always going to be there in a very, how do we put it, in a very uh, detailed, for lack of a better word, there. And the dad will be there for you ultimately, but he's going to push you and he's going to see how far you can go. So that's sort of the balance that we're supposed to have. But I think that because we never had the unconditional love in an absolute sense, and then on top of that, we also never really got the discipline. Because here's the interesting thing, and it was just my opinion, my sort of observations, 
I think that what happens with a lot of our parents of my generation and younger is that we don't get the unconditional love from mom because she's working after a few weeks or after a few months. And, and again, I'm saying unconditional love. That's how he puts it in the book, but love maybe isn't the best word because our parents love us, right? I don't think most of us question if our parents love us, but how do they show that? Right. So mom being there, and there's a great book called being there by psychoanalysis being there shows that unconditional love. She's there all the time, no matter what. Um, but when you don't have someone who is always there, then that would be not having unconditional love in, in this sort of definition of it. So not having someone who's always there, one person who's always there for you, no matter what. But then also on top of that, not fully getting the the conditional love either. Um, what I think that a lot of us get is a watered-down, unconditional love. So just both parents not really being there. And, and that's kind of American society in general, right? We go to school eight hours of the day, every, you know, five days a week. And then a lot of kids are put into clubs and all this other stuff. We just don't spend a lot of time with our parents in general, um, unless your mom decided to take time off of work for those first couple years of your life, we, we just, you know, daycare to school. So our parents are kind of distant figures who never completely give us that conditional love or the unconditional love. I think they give us kind of a watered down version of both, but there's no absolutes there. So anyway, I feel like that is a part of what makes us strive to always want to be accepted, to always be sort of showcasing and sharing our personal wounds very publicly and almost demanding of others that they share their flaws in hopes that people will still like us and still want to be around us and still love us. And while the urge is understandable, I think it's important to realize that while for sure social social media is a lot more integrated in our lives than in the past, I do still nevertheless believe that social media is not the same as real life, right? And I know that's not a radical thing to say, but I definitely get that, especially for younger people, it can feel like real life because they grew up with it, right? Like us growing up, those of us who are millennial, then we remember when Facebook was created or when we first heard of it, right? We remember the invention, so to speak, or whenever um, smartphones came into our life. Like I remember being in like third grade and basically to use the computer, you had to type in some kind of code. That's how they taught us computer class, right? Um, I remember the infancy of people chatting in those groups where you would like play checker and then you're chatting with some random person. So I remember the distinction and I remember it slowly coming into our lives. Whereas a younger person, they were born and Facebook was here, Instagram was here. But I do think that there is a level of fulfillment you're not going to get from social media all the people liking your pictures, all the people messaging you, you know, you tell everyone 
I've been suffering with bulimia for two years and, you know, you give your whole long story and, you know, people like the picture and they say, oh my God, you know, you're so brave and you're so strong. No matter how many, you can get hundreds of comments, there is still a distance, right? There's still a screen between you two. And if you don't actually have either within yourself a, a level of strength or a strength in your relationships or something, that is not going to fulfill it. The social media stuff is not going to fulfill it. And I really feel that even if you're going to put out that sort of personal stuff, that painful stuff, I think there's a distance you have to have from it. Because that social media stuff and people responding positively and all of that, if that's all you, if that is all you are depending on, I don't feel that that is going to be enough. Now, if you already have your strength and you've gotten through that on your own, or you have people in your life and you got through that and you're reflecting, that's a different story. But if you're going through it now and then you post it on social media and people send you hundreds of messages, there's just an emptiness. I really think that social media can't fill. It just can't do it. You have to access it through a screen. And that will always be a preventative um, aspect of it. Now, if they ever integrate social media, so you can have some sort of lens in your eye or something. Who knows? Maybe that'll be a different story. But as long as it's on a device and through a screen, there will always be a distance between you and those people. If the moment you turn off your phone, you don't have yourself to rely on, you're going to be in very troubled waters. So I just think that we have to be careful. One, I think the the criticism of people not showing their flaws in social media is bogus. No one owes you anything, first of all. <laughs> and no one owes you seeing their flaws, especially someone you're not in an intimate relationship with an intimate, I just mean close, you know, not, not just a spouse, but whether it's your spouse or your parents or your siblings, whatever, whoever in real life that you owe them something and they owe you something. There's a mutual relationship. But for people who are just your, your followers on Instagram or you're just someone's follow on Instagram, and you just want to devour their life, they don't owe that to you. They don't owe it to you that you see the scars on their face. You know, oh, we want to see you without makeup, or oh, we want to see you with a with messy hair or a messy hijab. We want to see you, you know, in, in clothes that don't look nice. You know, we want to see the real you. You don't deserve to see someone in a light that is not, that they don't, want you to see them in honestly it would be the same to me as coming into someone's house they're well dressed the living room is clean looks nice and you demand to look all over their house and see their messy room you don't you you are allowed to go exactly where they invite you to that's actually an islamic concept i'm remembering uh, um Seho talking about this and that it's poor adab. If someone invites you to their house and they bring you to your living to the living room, that's where you go. You don't go in any other room without their permission. 
right? Because that is their private space. And I think that um, we should see social media in a similar way, both as the consumer of social media, to not demand that people show you parts of themselves that they don't want to show you, whether that is their face without makeup or their spouse or their personal life. Uh, Not too long ago, someone... I remember someone, uh, you know, that I know telling someone else, um, well, I know the person they told it to, they said, oh, you know, you're, you're so fake because you're not showing, you know, some of the difficulties that you're going through in your life right now because they, they just post positive things. And the person thought they were fake because they weren't posting some of the difficulties they were going through. And that is just insane. Why do your however many followers need to know about the difficulties in your life. If you choose to show it, that, that's that's your business, right? But they don't deserve to know just because they click the follow button, right? And it's not fake to not show every single aspect of your life. Just like it's not fake if you invite someone into your house and you take them into your, your living room and that's it. You don't show them the messy kitchen. You don't show them the messy bedroom. You don't show them anything else that you don't want them to see. That is not fake. That is presenting yourself as you choose to present yourself to that person. And you don't owe them anything, right? Um, or, or you don't owe them that, I'll say. Because everyone, you owe something at, at different levels. If you invited them to their to your house, you know, they deserve to be treated well as a guest. And as a guest, they deserve to Um, treat you well as well as the host so there's that and you should not feel uh, pressured as the one posting on social media to share aspects of your life that you don't want to share just in the name of keeping it real right (laughs) there was an old episode of Dave Chappelle called when keeping it real goes wrong if, if anyone remembers that and it was hilarious because it was just, it was obviously, it was a comedic take on this idea that you must always keep it real. You must always, which is essentially saying you must always obey your nafs or you must always obey your your ego in the casual way that we use it. In the sense that people use it on social media, you must show people every part of yourself. You're not allowed to choose which parts you show. It's not true. You are allowed to do that. And people... People don't, um, you know, people shouldn't demand that from you. Um, just trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to say on this topic. And again, it's kind of a random topic, but it was just on my mind. Um, honestly, not for any particular reason. I don't know what made me think of it. I've thought about it sort of off and on. I don't know what made me think of it now. But I just feel like it's true in all, I mean, I use the social media example. I, I went on that for a minute. But it's true in different aspects of life, right? Like when I was really into makeup, and I wasn't really someone who, uh, I mean, I guess it's a bit subjective, but I would say the most sort of um, maybe questionable thing I would wear I would there was a time where I was into black eyeliner and I think that can be kind of attention grabbing but outside of that I really use makeup to cover my flaws I did love blush so I would put on some blush as well 
And um, the thing that I loved about that and that I sort of still agree with is that it's okay to present a better and well-polished version of yourself to society. You don't have to feel like, you know, there's this idea of, oh, well, this is the real me. And, you know, people should have that same idea. People should accept me the way I am. Um, perhaps. Perhaps. I don't know. But I think there is something to be said for presenting yourself in the best manner and also to get the best results from other people, because that's also a part of not having a relationship with other people is that they also don't owe you anything, right? So if you go outside your house and you look disheveled, they may treat you a certain way. Whereas if you're in your house and with your loved ones and you look disheveled, I mean, people may still not <laughs> like if you look disheveled, but people aren't going to just treat you completely differently because of that. Whereas out in society, people do judge you for your looks and you may want people to treat you um, well, but that doesn't mean they are going to, right? And so I think that there is something to putting your best foot forward uh, before others and not allowing people to see your flaws or to see you at sort of a lower, maybe lower state is not the right word, but... Uh, not to see the raw you because they don't deserve that. You don't owe them that. And you also want the best out of them. So you want to present your best self. And I know that before when I had, um, I stopped wearing makeup sometime in graduate school um, for a couple of, I guess for a couple of years. I mean, after graduate school, I went to Jordan. So Jordan and I were in a college and there was no need for um, makeup. But one of the things I felt at that time, I felt like, well, you know, this is my real face. I do have some scars on my face. And so I just want to feel comfortable with my face. I don't want to feel like, oh, I look better with makeup and get attached to makeup. And so I do see that side of it. But I think there is also the other side of when we are out and around other people, interacting with people in relationship with people, um, uh, whether that's online or outside, then we do want to think about how am I presenting myself and what is, what am I going to get out of presenting myself in a particular way? So, and what I want from these other people. So in one sense, yes, you don't want to feel attached to, you know, I, I understand my past self of not wanting to feel attached to makeup at the same time do I want to be judged for whatever given flaw, right? That if makeup could hide it, do I want to be judged or do other people need to see that or can they see me in a better light? Um, so, and that's a tricky question. I mean, for me more so, I don't uh, just practically, I'm not always going to wear makeup outside because sometimes I may have to pray when I'm outside and that's a whole ordeal if you have makeup on and you have to make glue and taking it off and then are you going to put it back on, etc. Um, but anyway, the point is that there is something to presenting your best self. So, inshallah ta'ala, I hope this was valuable in some way. These are just sort of my thoughts on this random <laughs> issue. 
Um, thank you for listening. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you're subscribed. I probably won't share this because it is so random. Um, so thank you for subscribing. And uh, yeah, I hope you benefited from this in some way. If you want to check out my former polished <laughs> initiative, uh, Nora Shadili, then you can head over to noraalshadili.com, N-O-O-R-A-L-S-H-A-D-H-I-L-I.com, which is a faith-based human development initiative where we utilize traditional Islamic knowledge and modern social science research to improve ourselves and the world around us. Thank you for listening and let's talk soon. Thank you.